good morning again, everyone. Glad to see you here today. Hope that your week went pretty good. Reminiscing a little bit on last week and how it was a little bit challenging in terms of the message and the meeting afterwards, but I think both of which went really well. Um, it's still difficult to navigate as we continue down the road that we're on. As I talked about last week, there are times that are challenging. There are times that are stressful or can bring anxiety in our lives. Um, and we face different things throughout seasons in our life in, in different ways. Some of those times are thrust upon us where it's just life and we have to understand how to navigate that. And other times we can bring it on ourselves based on our decisions and the consequences that we face. But the beauty of going through this life in this way is to understand that even through those hardships, we're not alone. We have one another as a church body, we have family in a lot of cases, and we have the Lord on our side as well. Um, today, what we're gonna be talking about is some of this hope that Paul is gonna express about those hardships and facing those with Christ as we talk about the fullness of God for the church and how Jesus um, accomplishes that. Now, obviously, that's a broad category. We're not going to talk about every aspect of that, but just kind of zeroing in on a few of those areas, uh, those types of subjects that we're going to be addressing today. So we're going to be continuing in Colossians. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading today from verse 24 of chapter 1 down to verse 5 in chapter 2. And I invite you to stand as we read God's word. Beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Father, as we go to your word this morning, I pray that you would open our, our hearts and minds to your truth, help us to understand the richness that is in this passage, and help us to apply that to our lives so that we can live for you and glorify your name. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. 
All right, so there are a few points that I'm going to draw out for us this morning, followed by some deeper explanations through some very difficult verses. You know, as we, as we recall over the last few sections that we've gone over, they have dealt with how Jesus is the fullness of God in certain areas. We started with how he's the fullness of God in creation. Last week we talked about how he's the fullness of God in redemption. And this week we're going to look at it through the lens of the church. Now there's this overall portrait or emphasis of the church that ta- Paul is talking about. But in this section what we're going to focus on is suffering and affliction. The mystery of Christ in you, which is the hope of glory, and how in you and in suffering we can find benefit in Christ for the church. Not easy connections to make, nor easy topics to talk about. But I think it's a theology and a study that we need to have in order to understand the deeper graces of God. So let's talk about affliction and suffering first. You know, if you've been alive for any period of time, I'm sure that you've experienced different afflictions, different forms of suffering. Some will have different experiences, so they will understand suffering in a little different ways. You know, the common theme is that there is suffering among us. However, how we respond to it, how we've experienced it has been different. And through this topic, you know, as I was studying it, understanding where we're at as a church, what we've been going through, in terms of loss, in terms of diagnosis, um, I understand that this can be an uncomfortable topic. But it's one that we need to, to find hope in because there's a ton of scripture that deals with that. Affliction is defined in Baker's Encyclopedia of Biblical Terms as anything causing pain or distress, suffering or calamity. From a biblical viewpoint, affliction began at the entrance of sin into this world where both mankind and all of creation were afflicted with thorns and thistles, sin, death, and decay. Because of sin, misery is a common human experience and our short life is full of trouble. It continues by saying that Jesus indicated that there will be many trials and sorrows for his followers. John 16, 33. Paul taught that the entrance to the kingdom of God comes with many tribulations, Acts 14, 22. Even among, among that, we must not lose faith, 1 Thessalonians 3, 3. Rather, they are to be understood as finishing up the remainder of Christ's suffering for his body, our passage today. But you know, when we think about suffering and affliction, many times it deals with illness it deals with loss and that's kind of where our minds go to when we think about affliction i think or or suffering many times we try to avoid it at all costs Um, and this week the lord showed me a a nice picture an image that i'd like to share with you as all analogies break down this one breaks down too but i just envisioned us on this road of life a highway and there's debris all over the road, and we're doing our best to swerve to miss the debris and make it to the, our destination. You know, in that analogy, the debris would be suffering. It would be affliction. It would be other people's lives. And if our thinking is that we're swerving to miss those things, then it's almost like our chief aim is safety and being comfortable. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that per se, but if that is our chief aim, I think that we're missing the mark. You know, in the same way, in the same type of thought within that analogy, the, on the other side, we also shouldn't be just trying to hit the, the debris. Like we shouldn't be seeking out suffering in that regard as well. But rather as we're on maybe not a 10-lane highway, but on a narrow road and we're facing the debris, we're able to confront what is in front of us through the grace of God and his strength, helping those whose lives are in a mess with the love of Christ, making them whole again continuing on the road for that season together. You know, only as you walk through affliction and suffering are you able to understand and experience what Paul is saying and how he rejoices in the suffering that he has for their sake. In this message, I want to be careful not to glamorize suffering or simply speak only from my own experience or my own ignorances but rather dive into what the word says on this topic to help us navigate it in our own life to where we can understand how Jesus is the fullness of God for the church today in all things, including suffering and affliction. And we can glean off of those who have already run the race before us, who have finished strong with endurance. Matthew Henry <clears throat> says this. He says, extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins, but sometimes the trial of extraordinary graces. And then Charles Spurgeon said, I bear my witness that the worst days I have ever had have turned out to be my best days. And when God has seemed most cruel to me, he has then been most kind. If there is anything in this word for which I would bless him more than anything else, it is for pain and affliction. I'm sure that in these things, the richest, tenderest love has been manifested to me. Our father's wagons rumble most heavily when they are bringing us the richest freight of the bullion of his grace. Love letters from heaven are often sent in black-edged envelopes. The cloud that is black with horror is big with mercy. Fear not the storm, it brings healing in its wings. And when Jesus is with you in the vessel, the tempest only hastens the ship to its desired haven. Quotes that I really spent some time with this week. I wrestled through a lot of different things this week. And again, as Christians, I think when we're aware of suffering, we're aware of affliction, and we understand that it can impact our walks every day. And before we dove in this morning, I wanted to give us a little bit of background and definition on affliction and suffering. Because as we start diving in and we look at verse 24 again, this is probably the hardest and most confusing verse in the book of Colossians, trying to understand what Paul is meaning and what he is saying. So I want to spend a little bit more time with that. You know, as you look at this initially, as you look at it separated from context, it can create some questions in your heart and mind as you're reading this. You know, what do you mean? Is something lacking in what Christ did? That doesn't make sense. Well, and maybe on the other side, well, thank goodness for Paul because he's filling in the gap, right? You know, this verse has stumped scholars since the early church. And there are many theories, there's many thoughts, there's many comments in commentaries, so much so that it's exhausting. 
What I want to try to accomplish this morning is to look at this from a logical standpoint and put the heart of the gospel within this verse. Um, when we look at it logically, we can start off by understanding what it can't mean, right? When we look at what he is saying here, he does not mean that Jesus is lacking in his sacrifice or redemption because he just explained how Jesus is the fullness of redemption. All over the New Testament and parts in the Old Testament as well is explained how Jesus' sacrifice pays that atoning price once and for all. So Paul is not saying that anything is lacking in the sacrifice of what Jesus did. He's also not saying that anything that he does is adding to the salvation that has been won by Christ. So as you understand that, you begin to dive into other areas of scripture, you dive into other areas of context to gain into some of this understanding. And you gain into more of the time period that Paul is talking about. The time period between Jesus' death and resurrection and the second coming. The time period that we are currently in. How in this time, suffering and affliction will happen. And it will happen for the sake of his name for the sake of the gospel. And I want us to understand that because that's the primary scope and context of what Paul is talking about here. Again, many times our mind goes to loss, our mind goes to illness, but what Paul is talking about here is for the sake of God's name. That is the suffering, that is the affliction that he is talking about. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus is not the fullness of God in our afflictions and our sufferings. But rather, Paul is just probably not talking about our hangnails. So we want to understand the context of what he's talking about. So when we look at this verse, and we take in the other verses within this passage that deal with suffering, we begin to ask some questions of the text. And this is how we dive a little bit deeper. You know, what are Paul's sufferings, and why are they an occasion for rejoicing? How is he suffering for the body of Christ? In this particular case, the Colossians, people who he has never met, how is he suffering for them? And how is he filling up this deficiency in Christ's afflictions? What does that even mean? What are those things? So as we start to dive in, what we want to notice right off the bat is Paul changes the language in this verse, actually starting up in the second half of verse 23, where he changes the pronouns. It's no longer we or us that are praying for you, that are encouraging you, that are proud of your faith. He changes it to I. So this becomes personal. This is my experience that I'm going to be sharing with you. And he is gonna be talking about that. So presently, we know that Paul is in jail. It could be that the suffering that he's talking about is him being imprisoned. But again, I think it's speaking more to how the gospel is globally being proclaimed and the privilege that Paul has had to suffer for being a servant of the gospel. Paul believes that Christ is indwelling in us and suffers with us as we go through what he has said that we would go through. Okay, That's, it's an important thought to understand. And I want to unpack that statement a little bit. You know, for Paul personally, remember his calling back in Acts 9. This is what's recorded. Uh, the Lord is speaking to Ananias, and the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision 
in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And this is verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. It's a very specific and personal calling that is for Paul. Even though we can take Jesus' understanding of make sure you count the cost to be a disciple before you come and follow me, that's more of a general calling for us. But I think what is said about Paul in this last phrase is very key and very important. The afflictions, the sufferings are both done for the name of God. It's not random chance. It's not God putting his thumb down on Paul. It's not karma. But rather it's suffering because of the name of God. Because of the gospel message. Where the world is going to try to shun and beat back against what he is saying. And then you think about Paul's ministries. You think about the floggings, the imprisonments, the stoning, the escaping the cities in a basket. All of these things Paul has suffered and been afflicted with and has experienced personally. He knows the cost of being a disciple. What have we suffered for the name of Jesus? What have I suffered for the sake of the gospel? Yes, we suffered, but is it because of the name of Jesus? I've been verbally abused. I've been shunned, but nothing really physical. No imprisonments. Nobody's raiding my home. I've had to pick up and go where God has sent me, perhaps breaking up some of my comforts in the world that I've built for myself, but nothing like Paul. You know, when we look at this next phrase about Christ's affliction, this is the only time in the New Testament that this Greek term is used. And this term is never used to talk about um, the atoning sufferings of Christ. So again, we have to reject any idea or notion that Paul is talking about merit within this verse. To where it's Christ's suffering and our own that adds to our salvation. You know, generally Paul uses terms like blood, cross, death when referring to the redemptive work of Christ. So we want to be able to see those types of patterns as we're studying the word of God. It is Christ's acts alone that save. Paul is a very big proponent of that. Again, he's also not demanding that we suffer in the same way that Christ did, but rather saying that as Christians we should expect suffering for the name of God. Some of Paul's writings which reflect this, Acts 14.22 says, Strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that you are destined for this. And he continues in verse seven, for this reasons, brothers, 
In all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Romans eight seventeen. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be, glor- be glorified with him. 2 Corinthians 1, 7. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So Paul has a lot of different teachings about sufferings and afflictions that as believers we would face. Can you turn over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13? And we want to kind of look and see what Jesus says about this. Now you can read all of 13 and get a good glimpse of the church and what Jesus is speaking for the church in that time period between his resurrection and his second coming. But today I'm just going to focus from verses 5 through 13. Beginning in verse 5, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but a beginning of the birth pains. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures is the one who will be saved. So again, you look at what Jesus says will happen in the later days, in the days of the church. So it's not for us to be surprised about when we face suffering or affliction. Now, when we think about suffering and affliction, we think about Christ. Where is Christ right now? It's kind of a trick question. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's also in us. We know that he suffers with us. This is what I believe is meant by Paul in what he is saying in this. Until Jesus comes again, our afflictions are his afflictions. Think about what happens in Acts. Even though he is seated at the right hand of the Father, we are given a portrait that he stands when Stephen is stoned. Think about in Acts 9, when he calls Saul of Tarsus. What does Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not the people, me. This understanding of how Christ is with us at all times needs to be understood. You see, Paul, from that moment on, would suffer for the sake of Christ. Christ is very personal. He is the fullness of God in us as we go through these sufferings and afflictions, and that brings us hope. 
whether it is for his name's sake or the afflictions of life and being in a broken world. See, Christ in you, this is the mystery, the glorious mystery that is revealed. Our main verse for that point is verse 27. A mystery that is available not only for the Jews but for the Gentiles as well. This is the hope of glory. Glory that is yet to come. Glory that is eternity with the Father in heaven. That is for the the hope that we have that is yet to come. And we want to continue to see different parallels as we're going through Colossians. So if you could, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll read a, a little bit deeper portion of the mystery. In chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 3, and then we'll read through verse 13. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring delight for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities by the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. So as we read that section of scripture, we see some of these parallels concerning the mystery of God that is being laid out. That the Gentiles are included in the unsearchable riches of Christ and that how through the church, the people, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And that's very important for us to understand. You know, we're not to lose hearts, we're not to lose our confidence in Christ because it's in Christ. Paul's saying he's not losing heart as he is suffering for them. It is because through that suffering, Paul's actually closer with the Lord. Again, not glamorizing suffering, not calling us to go seek out suffering for the sake of suffering. But rather, as Mark 13 shared, it is for the sake of the gospel and proclaiming the name of Jesus. Now, being in America, we do have to mention that. A lot of times what we might think of as afflictions or sufferings are actually inconveniences, such as the coffee line being too long, traffic being heavy, Inflation's up, gas prices are up. Oh, I'm suffering for you, Lord. We're still more well off than 95% of the world. Again, focusing on the lifestyle that we have versus what we are called into. You know, the mystery of God is Christ. And in our section back in Colossians, 
he continues to echo this prayer that he has for them that we focused on in verses nine and 10 of chapter one. If you look at verses two and three in chapter two, he continues these thoughts about pressing into the Father because, of his, because he is the richness, he is the fullness of God, and he is in you. So be firm in your faith because your hope is in the one who overcomes. Your hope is in the one that we proclaim. You know, so often we can go through sufferings and, and afflictions, such as loss, such as illnesses, and we can lose sight of the hope that we have. We can lose sight of the hope of glory that is to come because the pain is too real. It's too tangible. It's too blinding. Pain that is physically blinding. The anguish that is just ripping your heart apart. It can easily take our eyes and our focus off of our goal. It can cripple our effectiveness with the gospel. You know, as you guys have walked this road with me through my own suffering, I don't try to hide that fact. I don't try to be a martyr up here. I try to be real. I try to be upfront and raw. And there are definitely days when I just want to be done, where the pain is too much. But God has been able to use that pain and use that suffering to meet the needs of those around me to where he gets the glory, and it is for his name's sake. And he has brought me healing in a lot of different ways that I would not have expected, and I would not have received if I did not step out in faith. Death sucks in a lot of ways. It's hard to walk through. But that suffering, that pain, is meant to drive us back to him. To know that death was not originally meant by God, but rather it's a consequence of sin. Death shows us not to hold too tightly onto the things of this world, and that includes people. So enjoy them today while you have today. Look forward to the future glory when we who are believers will be with Christ for eternity because he is our hope and he is the beautiful mystery. Now amid all of this suffering and affliction, that Paul is talking about, there is also mixed in within this section a toiling for the church, a toiling for the people where he is contending for the faith, where he is struggling for the sake of the people. I believe a lot of what Paul is talking about in context of suffering here involves the proclaiming of the gospel and the furthering of the church and how the fullness of Christ is in him in order to give him strength for this. He's working against the culture in order to spread the gospel message, something that's not approved by the powers of the time. The Jews are against him, the Romans are against him. And Paul's a minister of the gospel, as it says in verse 25. He proclaims Christ in verse 28. And what we wanna pick up from that is he's not proclaiming a theology. He's not proclaiming a system of doctrine, a philosophy, or the newest trend. He is proclaiming a person, Jesus, the Christ. And as he preached Christ, yes, correct teachings, correct doctrines came from that, but the focus was on Jesus, not a system. And we're gonna hit this a little bit harder over the next couple weeks through those passages because many times, especially in America, I believe we are reasoning ourselves to faith and we're missing the person of Jesus. We're trusting a theology or a system 
rather than the person of Christ. And Paul gives us warnings frequently about these types of things. He's giving warnings to everyone with wisdom about the gospel of Christ. Verse 29 shares how the toiling and the struggling is done with the strength of Christ. You know, everything is about Christ when it comes to Paul. You know, outside of me being the humblest person I know, I do know many of my shortcomings as a pastor. I'm sure that you can fill in the gaps where I might be lacking in that. But as I reflect on on this from time to time in my heart, and I share my purpose for why I'm up here, it's always because of Christ. The weaknesses that I have, he can shine in the strength. You know, I think, I've always loved the band Casting Crowns, and they have a song called Only Jesus. I reflected on that song quite a bit this week when I reflected on my heart of what it means for me to be a pastor, to be a dad, to be a neighbor, to be a friend. The type of legacy that I'm gonna leave as a believer in Christ. You know, I know that you will not remember all of my dad jokes just because of the sheer volume of them. But I hope that when you see me, that you would see Christ. That's when you look back at how I've lived my life, how I've walked through suffering or affliction, that you see Christ. Because Christ is all that matters. It's only about him. And whatever I can do in my life to glorify him, so be it. Even if I have to face different hardships. You know, I've mentioned many times, every job out there has its different hardships. In a lot of ways, a nine-to-five job would be a lot easier than this profession. But there's times that if I'm in this position, I know that I want it to be all about Christ. When I worked in the factories, it was still all about Christ. I brought my Bibles into the factories, and I read them in, in my cells to where people would see that around me. No matter what you're doing, how are you reflecting Christ to those around you? Because as Paul is stressing through these struggles, through these afflictions, through these toilings, he must be magnified, he must be proclaimed. Because he is what matters. Paul's sharing in the beginning of chapter two that he is struggling for people that he has never met. He is praying for them. He is writing them this letter. He is rejoicing for the faith that they have. He is exerting physical, mental, spiritual energy into these people in order to achieve the goal of bringing them to maturity in Christ. He's toiling for the benefit of the church, for the people. And he would have to contend with others for that sake. False teachers, devils, demons, his own flesh, Nevertheless, it was a supernatural power of Christ that strengthened him through this. His desire is to encourage the church for them to understand the riches of the full assurance and the understanding of Christ. How as a body, they are knit together through the love of Christ who went to the cross and shed his blood for them. Christ is the very essence of God and has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus the better that you or any Christian can understand the person of Jesus, the better you'll be able to handle false teachings and afflictions of all kinds. Because when you understand the grace that has been given to you, you get overwhelmed with the desperate despair that you have without him. 
you experience then this, this unending, this lavishing outpouring of grace upon your life. And then all of that other stuff doesn't matter. All of these other new age, moral relativistic, uh, new fads, ways to seek enlightenment, they just become junk. It's only Jesus. As I was praying and wrestling this week, I sat in tears as I listened to the song Gratitude. It was a song that our teens sang after they came back from life. And you know, I just, I think about where some of us are at times and you realize that there's nothing that we have to offer to God other than our worship and our praise for who he is and what he has done. And it just changes you. It breaks you down in tears of gratitude and praise for the king. Not, not doing this out of compulsion because it's a job, but doing this out of what he has done for us. It's a subtle but huge change in perspective when you're not just going through the motions, but you have that relationship with Christ and you understand deeply what he has done for you. So that these afflictions, these sufferings, they become a blip on your timeline of eternity that you're gonna spend with Christ. To suffer for the name of Christ is a joy that is unparalleled because he is with you through it all. There are times when you might think that you are alone, that he has forsaken you, but know that that is an attack from the enemy because Christ is in you. He is your hope, he is your glory. Let us pray. Father, we praise you today for your son. We praise you that he is the fullness of you, uh, sent to this earth to die as a sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, his, the word says that we are gonna face sufferings and we're gonna face afflictions for your namesake. Since Genesis 3, the word has said that we would face afflictions in the forms of thorns and thistle, death and decay. Lord, and we experience that daily. Lord, this world throws a lot of things at us. And it can take our eyes off of you. But Lord, you have overcome this world. You have given us your son who dwells in us through your spirit and we praise you for that so we have strength to face the day so that our eyes can turn to you because you are our help, you are our refuge. Lord, for those that are hurting today, I pray for comfort. I pray that your presence would come upon them in strong and mighty ways. For those that are still walking this road of suffering and affliction, Lord, I pray for direction and guidance. Continue to allow us to lean into you and press into you through your word, through prayer, through godly counsel and wisdom. Lord, so that the actions that we do would be honoring to you. And Lord, when the pain is so blinding, Lord, like Job, just allow us to sit 
sit in stillness and sit in silence, knowing that you are there because you are a comforter. Lord, so many times we might not have words to say, but you know our hearts, you know our minds. And Lord, we, we pray for that time where you come for your church. Will you make all things new? Or we will be glorified with you forever. Lord, that is our hope. That is what we look to. And I pray that as we run this race of life, that we can run with endurance, perseverance, and faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you are a loving God. We thank you that you are a just God. We thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.